Hello, and welcome to another episode of Never Seen It, a podcast about movies that we haven't seen yet. I'm going to be your host today. My name is Betsy, and with me, as always, the illustrious, the spectacular, it's my husband, it's Trent. All of those things are untrue. <laughs> well, you're special to me, Trent. Aww. Aww. <laughs> so the Oscars are behind us. We recorded our last episode pre-Oscars, so this is our first one we're doing after that's all happened. That's over and done with, and we are moving on. <laughs> so you can go and check out all those episodes if you're playing catch up. Listen to our Oscar special. It is spoiler free. Uh, give one last glance at 2022 before you move on to the new round of movies for 2023. But we're not in 2023 for today's movie. We are going to a movie from the past that is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. Yes, indeed. We are watching The Fugitive. The Fugitive, Betsy. I've not seen that movie. I have seen this movie. This is a pretty common occurrence. (laughs) (laughs) So honestly, I think I've seen this all the way through probably once. Okay. But I've it's one of those movies back in like the 90s they always showed on TV. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I've seen bits and pieces of this many, many times. Yeah. And I know kind of what it's about, I think. So what do you think The Fugitive is about? Well, this was kind of inspired by... You know, the best picture presenter, Harrison Ford himself. He's in the news a lot this week. Indeed, and we have only ever covered one Harrison Ford movie, to my surprise. For a man who's been making movies for like 50 years. Yeah, (laughs) we watched Air Force One like the first year we did this podcast, and it was amazing. Right. Back when Harrison Ford was like an action star. That is a time called the 90s. (laughs) I know, and I guess this is part of that, so... The Fugitive is Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. Mm-hmm. I don't know of anybody else in this in this movie. Off the top of my head, I also don't because as wow. I said, I've only seen this the once. Yeah, and Tommy Lee Jones is... I mean, there's a sequel to this movie called U.S. Marshals, mm-hmm. if, if I'm not wrong. And Tommy Lee Jones is like the marshal who is going after the fugitive, Harrison Ford. And I'm assuming that he's accused of a crime he didn't commit, at least in his mind. And he's running away. And and he's going to try to prove his innocence. That's my guess. You don't know his name. You don't know his occupation. No. No. (laughs) No. So this was probably going to be a pretty quick intro then, because... I think once we get going, you're going to realize how many cultural references from this movie Mm -hmm. you recognize. Oh, I remember there is a quote. Isn't, um, it's Harrison Ford at like the end of a hallway or a big, I don't know, pipe going somewhere. And he's like putting up his hands saying, I didn't kill my wife. And Tommy Lee Jones says, I don't care. I need to get you or something to that effect. <laughs> okay, so you do know one reference for this movie. Yeah. But I know you're going to know I'm a sure. lot more. I'm sure. So we're going to go and find out how much you actually know about this movie by watching it. We're going to go watch The Fugitive. We'll be right back.
And we're back. 30 years later, Trent, did you get your man? It wasn't me. It was the one-armed man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you thought of a reference that you know outside of this movie. I wouldn't have had any idea what that actually meant. Back in, what, 94 that movie came out? Which makes sense. The mask we're talking about here? Yeah, this movie came out in 93. That came out in 94. Movies took very little time to make, apparently. Well, and at the time, I did not get that joke. It was not until many years later when I finally saw this movie that I also got that joke. Yes. (laughs) Anyway, that movie was amazing. (laughs) This really holds up. Hell yeah! When I say I didn't really remember anything about this, I am not kidding you. Because I'm watching this like I have never seen this before. Yeah, this was a complex and captivating tale that is told in a very interesting way. I am just glued to the TV the entire time. I want to know what's happening. It is a a weird cat and mouse game. And yeah, I just, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is a really interesting movie in that they don't tell you why any of this is happening until almost the end of the movie. So you don't even really have time to stop and question why this is happening. Like, why did a one-armed man break into their apartment and kill his wife? Mm -hmm. Why did she die? Why don't the cops believe him? You don't really even think about it. Like, they set it up very quickly in the beginning. Right away, his wife is dead. The cops suspect him. They arrest him. He's tried and found guilty. Very quickly, by the way. In about 10 minutes. Like, all of that is cranked out. Yeah. And it's edited so well like jumping back and forth to yeah. the Present night day and the night of the murder yep. and the night the interrogation in right. with the cops right so yeah they're just bouncing back and forth and really just getting to the point and then he is being transferred to a prison there's an escape attempt from yeah. other prisoners yeah and, and he, he would have been free. content he would have been content going to prison maybe not content but he had no plans to escape it right. this evening exactly but you know circumstances being what they are he made the best of an opportunity yeah he had an opportunity and he took it and then the chase begins and yeah. it does not stop it is relentless for the first like 90 minutes like genuinely, yeah. I forgot how much this is just go, go, go. Yeah, and this movie is just over two hours. I mean, I wanted more. <laughs> I wanted there to be more chase and more revelations and more like complications thrown in. Well, yeah. why do you think this ended up getting a sequel? Because this character that Tommy Lee Jones plays is great mm-hmm. and this movie is great so they were like fuck it we want more yeah. <laughs> just like you said yeah this this is a really engaging movie that holds up after 30 years like there's yeah. little minute things with technology as always but and there's some like creative liberties that they're taking here like the the from the time that he gets arrested to him being convicted of murder is like 2 weeks. He still has the beard. It, it Come is on. edited together in such a way that it seems like they expedited that trial. Right. <laughs> um if you know anything about actual murder trials, those take years or really to any, build a case yeah. and put everything together. Yeah. Even a regular trial takes about a year sometimes. Well, and I feel like they set up really well in the beginning that it's possible that this got pushed 
up because the cops were so convinced they right. got they didn't their bother. man. They didn't bother trying to build a much no. h- harder case. No, they just used the evidence that they thought they had and they convinced the jury. That's all you need to do. Yeah, it, they said she was killed by the gun that was in his apartment. Yeah. Only his fingerprints were on the gun. Only his fingerprints were on the bullet. When he was trying to move her, she was still alive and lucid and she scratched him so her... Uh, so his DNA is under her fingernails. Yep. They have a 911 call. She managed to make a call and she says his name because when you're a dying woman, you're not necessarily coherent and you're trying to call out you, for help. You've also been bludgeoned in the head. Yes. So she has received a severe trauma yeah. and she's been shot. And so all of this evidence is really kind of circumstantial, but it's enough to damn him. Like, even though he wasn't there for most of the evening, he was there and was attacked by a man in the apartment and no one believes him. And Mm -hmm. they don't pursue that lead because these are inept cops. Like, they truly set it up so quickly. These cops don't give a fuck. This is a story of anything. It is a story of corrupt and lazy cops lazy cops they see what they wanted to see they didn't do an investigation because they didn't need to when a cop says it's an open and shut case it is them thinking oh this is an easy win to put on my my record and a murder not taking somebody dangerous off the streets no it is for your own fucking record this is a high profile case this is a well-respected, wealthy doctor right. who murdered his wife. Yeah, and it's something that is going to grab headlines. Everybody knows the guy. And I'm the cop that put that man away. Right. That's the kind of career-making case that they go on about. So, yeah, that's how this movie starts. And I really was moved by when they're jumping back and forth. Like, it, the way it's edited is really well done. Yeah. And his reaction to it. So like Harrison Ford in this opening scene when he has just witnessed his wife die and he's been attacked. Yeah. Like he's really emotional. As you would be. Like that was really good acting for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Good acting on him and bad acting on the cops in my opinion. Yeah. They're fucking terrible. (laughs) Yeah. But they're supposed to be. I think you know, you had pointed out a couple of these people were recognized. Like you, you uh-huh. said, "Oh, that guy's in the Dark Knight," and this dude, yeah, because they filmed this in Chicago, and that's what they do. They get local yeah. actors to be the extra characters. Yes. So it doesn't surprise me in the slightest that yeah. this is like a real deal Chicago guy yeah, playing the, the cop. The main cop, uh, the bigger guy with the white hair, that guy was one of the cops in the Dark Knight. I know that for a fact. Um, and there's a bunch of other Chicagoans that I recognize that I just do not. I cannot place them. Well, there's one I recognized, and you recognized the name, but you didn't know the actor. We have now hit for this podcast the trifecta of Chicago acting royalty. We have had John Cusack. We have had Joan Cusack. (laughs) And now we have Dick Cusack. The man who played his lawyer with the big glasses is their father. Jeez. That is a real fun fact for you. (laughs) I have seen him in one other movie. He's in a movie uh, from the early 2000s called Return to Me uh, with David Duchovny and Minnie Driver. Mm -hmm. And he plays this like philanthropist type of guy. And he's just this silly little old man that nobody wants to talk to. And like how the hell he got into this movie of all things. But again, it's just that thing where he probably was an actor in his own right in the Chicago area. 
and his kids just kind of got to be more famous than him. But because his kids were more famous, he got more work. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. But yeah, that's their dad. So fun little nugget for you. And then this movie is chock-a-block full of other people. I had no idea we're in this because I did not remember this at all. Joe Pantoliano is in this. Yeah. So again, this is his second time because remember what other movie he was in? The movie you adored from the 1980s, The Goonies. He's in that? He was one of the brothers in The Goonies, but you hated it so much you moved on. (laughs) I don't remember. So we had him. Fucking Jane Lynch is in this movie. Yeah, in two scenes. I don't, I don't even think you recognize her right away. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite a surprise. And I figured we wouldn't see her again. Like yeah. I figured, oh, it's just one scene and that's it. Yeah. But no, she does play a part later in the movie. Yeah. Julianne Moore. Got fourth billing. Fourth she is, billing. She is in the opening credits and is fourth in line in this movie. What the hell? She's in this movie, two scenes. I mean, was she just like an up-and-coming actress that you wanted to throw on your poster? I I don't know. She's somebody that plays a semi-pivotal role. Everybody kind of plays an Uh, important role. Like, genuinely, all the random people along the way, they only have like one scene or two scenes, but they are all important. Like, every single time, there's like the guy who he gets the samples from and the- Bones. Yeah, and then, like, the he gets a, a place to stay with this random woman who's renting out a room yeah. and her son. And the son has a relevant part to play because they're all just pieces in this puzzle yeah, everybody in the manhunt. Be- everybody becomes important because they're in the movie. And that, that's about it. Like, there, there's no, like, incidental characters. No, everybody is relevant because Tommy Lee Jones is following all of the breadcrumbs. Yes, and he is only one step behind the entire way. The entire time. And it's really tense because you're literally watching them just basically cross each other and just barely yeah. miss each other. Yeah, and sometimes literally, like, in the stairwell. Well, and then sometimes there's some shots where... Like, early on in the movie, when he returns to Chicago, he is riding the L, and they're talking, like, the cops are out looking for him, and there's a shot of one of the cops driving around, and the L is in the background. Mm. So it's just even moments like that where it's like, we, the viewers, know that he is on that train, and I don't know if he's supposed to be on that train, but it's to give you that sense of, he's that close. Yeah, it's, it's meant to evoke that, ooh, he's right there. He's right there. Yeah. And this movie, just like I said, starts and doesn't really stop. Like, it does Mm kind of slow down once you get to the actual plot. Like you said, this just got really complicated. Once they introduce the whole pharmaceutical thing, I'm like telling myself, oh, God, this got really, really complicated. And I'm not ready for more complexity here, but I got there. And by they, the end. They didn't give you so much that it was overwhelming. They gave yeah. you a couple of the puzzle pieces. And then at the end, it's basically just one speech where he says, this is what's happening. Yeah. You are responsible. And this is why. And they did set up one extra mystery here that they end up paying off in the ending. It's the one-armed man who calls a guy or gets a call from a guy who we do not hear the other end of. Like we don't the phone see call. who he's on the phone with. Right. It's so, a mystery man. Barking orders. Exactly. And uh, by that time, I knew who that was, like what character that was. But I could see how somebody who is not paying all that much attention, that would be a big surprise. Well, and there's a lot of fake outs in this movie. 
like a lot of them. So like you said, they figure out where the fugitive is. The U.S. Marshals are going to go to this house. They know where this person is. Yeah. We're assuming it's Kimball because we saw him get in a car with somebody. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. How would they know where he is? Right. Well, it's because it's not him. It's the other prisoner who escaped. It's a different escaped. woman. Right. Yeah. So they're getting that prisoner. But it's this big fake out where we're just like, oh, my God, they're going to get him. They're surrounding the house. He's He's going to get caught. But here's the deal, though. Every other time that Tommy Lee Jones and his crew get some information about Harrison Ford, there's a background to it. They explain why and how they get this information. They don't explain how they find the other guy. Which is why I was like, I don't understand what's happening here. (laughs) Yeah. So it's one of these times where they don't explain things that is the big fake out. Every other time you get an explanation or it is a very, very far-fetched uh, way that they get there. A broad explanation. Uh-huh. Like, oh, you mean the scene where they recorded his phone call because they he called the lawyer? the phone of his lawyer? You can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> oh, it was the 90s, Trent. Freewheeling. I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah. You cannot do that with that equipment. I don't care how many little doodads and knobs that you that I'm, you turn. I'm sorry, you're telling me they can't from a single audio file isolate and turn things up and it's and, it's and, like and, it's like from super enhance, super troopers enhance enhance. <laughs> yeah, so there's a little bit of like you said, creative license. Uh-huh. <laughs> but for the most part, it is really real. And it's a way that a person would react. He's a doctor. He's smart. He yeah. knows what to do and how to do it. He knows where in the hospital to get the supplies he needs. Right. He knows who to talk to. He knows how to be subtle and unseen. And for well, most of the like, movie, they it's aren't. It's like detri- we always say. If you look like you belong somewhere. Yeah, nobody's going to question nobody's it. Nobody's going to question you. Like the one guy who tells Harrison Ford to XYZ. <laughs> he even tells him, be on a lookout for a 6'1 guy with dark hair. And, and a beard. And a beard. It's like. You uh, seen anyone who looks s- like that? Yeah, every day in the mirror, man. Except for the beard. <laughs> ha ha ha. Speaking of his beard. This is a magnificent beard. That's an awesome beard. I just want to say, at the beginning of this movie, Harrison Ford looks good. He he does. Like, his hair is, like, just a little bit too long. His beard is a little too big. Well, and his beard is a little bit unkempt. But it's got, like, a little gray, like a distinguished amount of gray. He even had his shirt off once, and yeah, for, I don't know what age Harrison Ford was, but he looked good. I mean, he was probably in his, like, late 40s. Mid-late 40s when he made this. Still, wow. So yeah, he starts the movie looking like that. And he spends a lot of time changing his appearance because he's a man on the run. So he shaves his beard. He dyes his hair. He changes his his clothes. He He combs his hair a different way. He changes his clothes. Uh, Every time he gets made, he changes his appearance again. Exactly. Like he had his hair dark. The next time we see him, his hair is light again. He washes it out. Mm -hmm. So he's staying far enough ahead that he's able to do his own investigation and the Mm -hmm. only thing he has to go on is one armed man right one armed that's it (laughs) and that's somehow enough because he can get to the right places and get the information he needs and the one question that i had for the entirety of the movie i assumed that no he did not kill his wife and 
I just didn't get how they how he was going to prove that. Like you had to introduce this other devious plot with the pharmaceutical company and the doctor, the the two doctors who were in cahoots with this patent that. Yeah, There's it, a drug they're testing out drug at the hospital that is causing problem, causing liver damage, and they're trying to get it approved by the FDA, and they're falsifying uh, liver samples that are being submitted. And Harrison Ford finds this out, but he knows the truth about it's causing damage, yeah, though. Right, but we do not get this whole concept introduced until much, much later in the movie. And I'm thinking to myself through the first like two thirds. How the hell is he going to get out of this? Is he just going to go after revenge? Like, find the one-armed man, kill him, and go to prison and be satisfied? I don't know. But that's what makes this so interesting is because, like I said, they don't give you a why. Yeah. You are just watching this man that you in your heart of hearts believes is innocent. Sure. And you are rooting for him every step of the way in every insane situation that he gets into yeah. at the start of this movie. He's- he is in a bus crash followed by a train crash. Yes. And then within a short amount of time, he leaps off of a viaduct into a dam. <laughs> I mean, he's basically another Andy Dufresne. I, to an extent, except that instead of being arrested and staying in prison, yeah. he gets he, away immediately. He doesn't even get to prison. And you have the same kind of connection with Harrison Ford that you do with Andy Dufresne. Well, this is not a unique movie in the sense that it's a man on the run wrongfully accused. The thing I kept thinking about was North by Northwest, which okay. another movie that no, you haven't watched. No, it's a classic movie gonna, I haven't seen. You're not going to get the reference, but the, the plot of that is Cary Grant is a man accused of murder and mm-hmm. he's on the run trying to prove his innocence. Sure. But they do it in the reverse. They do it in the traditional sense of you set up who he is, mm-hmm. you set up the murder, and then he goes on the run. So you know why he's running. Sure. In this movie, you have no idea why he is running. <laughs> right. And he is convicted by a jury. The, he goes through the entire process. And that's why the cop keeps on saying, when the, when he gets asked the question, well, do you think he actually killed him? Well, he got convicted. That's not good enough. Yeah, it seems like... For a man with as much money as he has, he could have afforded a better lawyer and a yeah. better defense. And I, I was starting to question when he went to the like the prosthetics department, in wherever that happens to be in the hospital. Why didn't you have this idea before? Why didn't you investigate this? Tell your lawyer. You're smarter than your lawyer. Come on. You could have afforded a better lawyer. The system is fucked. The pharmaceutical companies are evil. The cops are bad. The lawyers are bad. As long as we're on this topic, I'm just going to say, man, I'm really glad for the people who need them that the prosthetics have gotten so much better in in the past 30 years. These are uh, varying degrees of interesting. Let's just put it that way. I mean, it's two steps beyond having a wooden leg. It's like a weird rubber hand that some teenager with a a Walkman is hand painting. Like genuinely, this woman is just alone. This is some chintzy shit. Yeah. 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 But I want to go back to what you mentioned before I interrupted you. Um, The scene of him escaping, like the, the escape scene from the bus. That right there is an argument in and of itself that practical effects are awesome. Yes, again, 30 years ago, we're talking the year Jurassic Park came out, and that was like a fucking marvel, what they did in that movie. Yes. And 
this is a train wreck and a bus crash. Yeah, it's a bus crash, a, a bus going over a cliff, and they really fucked that bus up. That's real. They're rolling that fucker down a hill. Yeah. <laughs> and they get back in the bus after it's all fucked up to, to film the rest of the, the scenes. And then there's a train coming and the train derails. Right. Now, I am sure that that train was not to scale. I'm sure that was not a full-size train. And there were moments of it where it's like, okay, this is clearly a model of some well, kind. Well, and there's also some explosives there because yes. there was like a small like hut or like cabin or some wooden building that clearly just explodes. It's where I hide my dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> That's always where I put it, right next to the train. You never know when you're going to need it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that entire scene was intense and yeah. One of the best parts of the movie, right? Oh yeah, there. it grabs you from the beginning and really doesn't let go. Yeah, I'm just movie. screaming at the screen. Holy shit! What are they doing? <laughs> okay, so while I'm watching this, I have seen a movie that is a direct parody of this film. So a couple of years after this, Leslie Nielsen made a spoof of The Fugitive called Wrongfully Accused. I've heard the name. I have seen this movie probably way more times than The Fugitive. And of course, <laughs> I had never seen The Fugitive when I watched it. Yeah. And I don't remember a ton about it, but I am fairly confident when I was watching that train sequence that I remembered something. I'm pretty sure a train like chases him and is like hiding around corners and like <laughs> hunting him. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, references to this, before we started watching it, we were talking that, oh yeah, this movie has been like parodied and joked about. There is a Simpsons thing. I do not remember the context, so forgive me. But there is a moment where Homer is like in, in shackles his feet are t are bound. I think his his arms are bound too, and he's just kind of waddling away from a wreckage, similar to that. Right. So I I again I do not remember the context, but I can picture the scene in my head. There's so many, like I said, references that you probably know, you just didn't realize they were from this movie. Like yeah. the, the thing with, it wasn't me, officer. It was huh? the one-armed man. Yep. I didn't get that joke in 1994. Nope. And, and you didn't get that joke until 2023. No. no. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of stuff to talk about in this one. So uh, I don't even know where to go from here. Let's talk about Tommy Lee Jones. Okay. I can't be sure. I'd have to go and look at his filmography. But I feel like this is the movie that made him a star. I would agree. Because he came out and he did his Tommy Lee Jones very best. And he has made a fucking career on this kind of a character Being ever Being Tommy since. Lee Jones. Yes. Because he got, you know, soon after this, he did Men in Black. And he's kind of the yeah. same guy. He, yeah. you know, was in Lincoln. Kind of the same guy. Yeah. He just keeps showing up playing this smarmy Texan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is a grumpy, like, witty and highly intelligent person. Fast talking, I know more than you, fucking get me a donut with the sprinkles. <laughs> <laughs> and like some of, some of the best scenes with him is when he's trying to put on his friendly face and when he's talking to the doctor a couple of times, the bad doctor, uh, when he's talking to the one-armed man. Uh, he's just, he's got this smile and this is the fakest smile that he could possibly put on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really effective. It's that thing of, I know 
more than you think I know. Mm-hmm. And I know you're lying to me, but, but I'm, I'm going to let you keep I'm lying. I'm going through the motions because I want you to answer this question however you're going to answer it. Yeah, like when they interview the one-armed man and they leave, he's like, well, he's a son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like that guy's he's a dirty. fucking... dirty, yeah. Yeah, that guy's a fucking phony. <laughs> yeah. He knows. He just is so good at his job that he can come in here and just start screaming orders at everybody. You know what this character reminded me of? Hmm. Al Pacino in Heat. Okay. He is this highly, highly competent cop who is chasing after uh, a bad guy, let's say. His he, mark. He's on the hunt. And he's one step behind the bad guys, and he just needs to keep on following up and following up and finding the leads and, like, interrogating Hank Azaria. <laughs> Hank and- Azaria is not in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> He, he should have been. He was not in the future. Should have been. Uh, but no, that that is what uh, I was getting there. Which and that makes came sense. out after this. Which makes sense. It's the cop trying to get his man is the long and short of it. Yeah. It's just how you approach it. But I can see that comparison. So you may or may not know this. This is the movie he won an Oscar for. Tommy Lee Jones? Tommy Lee Jones. Holy shit. This was not an intentional thing us watching this movie, we made a last minute pivot for what we were going to watch. Uh-huh. This is another one that was nominated for a shitload of Oscars. <laughs> okay. But unlike the one we just watched before this, I found this one to be infinitely more engaging. <laughs> uh, also, uh, unintentional, this movie is taking place during St. Patrick's Day. In Chicago. In Chicago. The river's we're, green. We're not in Chicago, but uh, we're recording this the day before St. Patrick's Day. It's the most was Irish not, movie we could come up with. Was not intentional <laughs> at all. <laughs> but yeah, there it is. But yeah, this movie was nominated for Best Picture, Best Editing, Best Score, Best Actor, like so many. It's up for like seven Academy Awards. But the only one it won was Tommy Lee Jones. Did Harrison Ford get nominated? No. And I think that's because he's doing the work at the beginning, and then yeah. he's kind of coasting on his Harrison Ford charm the rest that of the movie. That was one of the things that I wrote down. For being the star of this movie, and he is, he has very little dialogue. He is just kind of stumbling around and, like, being scared like skulky for lack of a better word he's reacting to a lot of things and yep. you watch him learning like he's yes. reading and making phone calls you and googling watching. before google <laughs> you are watching him and being very interested in what he is doing and how he is doing it and all of those things are important to acting but it's not very compelling when it comes to uh, the, the dialogue because there's none really there for him no, Tommy Lee Jones is the most compelling thing about this whole movie. But this movie's funny. Like, there is so yeah. much humor, especially from him and his team and, mm-hmm. like, the surrounding things. So, like, when they go to interrogate the one-armed man, he comes in and he's like, what is this, a trench coat convention? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and it's just things like that that keep the momentum and the levity Mm-hmm. In this fine balance. It gives you something to react to. Something yeah. to do rather than just having to be compelled. And, and tense. Like, and like having your eyes wide the entire time. You can relax a little bit and, and laugh a little bit. Yeah, it's it's a great way to, to build tension and relieve tension. Yep, to build tension. <laughs> yeah, it, it's the flow here is great. So uh, I mentioned it just now. This was nominated for score. This is such 
Okay, first oh of all, boy. I'm pretty sure they sampled, like, just straight up stolen this score for other things because this is parodied so much uh-huh. that they just use the actual score. Because <laughs> yeah. this sounds so familiar to me. A lot of elements here I completely am remembering from other movies of the era, namely Goldeneye. This was very evocative of Goldeneye. I get, because it's that kind of low low end of the piano kind of electric guitar like think the fucking law and order theme that kind of that shit that but translated to every movie from 1988 to 1995 (laughs) (laughs) but it was great it's james newton howard who has done the composing for a lot of movies that you have probably seen. Sure. He's kind of the guy for M. Night Shyamalan. He did King Kong for Peter Jackson. And we've mentioned it a few times already this episode, The Dark Knight. So this is a guy who has been in the business for a long time and has done some iconic scores. And genuinely watching this whole movie, I couldn't tell if it was because other stuff is ripping this off. Or I've genuinely just heard this so many times outside of this movie. Because that is possible. There are scores that have transcended their movies where you may maybe have never seen the movie. But you know that fucking score. Like, how many times have people heard Psycho? Like, the score from Psycho? Mm -hmm. And they've never watched. Yeah, and they've never seen those movies. Sure. So I can't tell the difference at this point because we're 30 years removed from it. (laughs) I don't know. But... Like in any movie, the score complements the action and just the the atmosphere of what's going on on screen. So, I mean, I got nothing more to say about that <laughs> just because it, it was done so well. Yeah, I think the strengths of this are the writing, the score, the editing. I, I'll keep going back to the editing because yeah. I think the beginning is really impressive and then throughout the movie... Because you are building that tension and you know that Tommy Lee Jones is right fucking behind him. Like he goes, he's trying to find the one-armed man and he knows one of them is in prison. So he goes to the fucking federal like prison building. He's going to lock up. He's going to lock up to visit this man. Meanwhile, Tommy Lee Jones and his crew are fucking downstairs waiting to take the elevator because they have also found this lead and they're like, well, he wouldn't come here. That would be stupid. Why would he do that? Right. And he gets tired of waiting for the elevator and decides to take the stairs. So while he's going up the stairs, we are seeing Harrison Ford go down the stairs and you assume it's the same staircase and that they're just going to run right into each other. And you're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then cut to there's two different staircases. And again, fucking fake out. But this just does it so well that I'm like, ah, you son of a bitch. You got me again. You got me again. But then he does see him and they give chase. And there's a chase. There's a lot of that. Spot him, chase him, lose him. Spot him, chase him, lose him. Yeah. And it just goes on and on until the end of the movie where they haven't spotted him, but they know where he is because they've cornered him. Sure. At the cardiologist convention, you know, as one does. Yeah, at the hotel. On In the laundry room. Yeah, and the laundry room scene was really tense. And I feel like the speech that Tommy Lee Jones gave is exactly what that character needed to do. He needed to get on the side of Harrison Ford. Because think about all of the different things that Tommy Lee Jones has discovered here. All of the quote-unquote good things that somebody on the run for murder wouldn't do. He was at the hospital and he helped save the life of, of a kid. 
he was at the hospital when they brought in the agent, like the cop from the accident at the beginning. Yeah. He knows that he has a puncture wound and he just tells the guys, yeah, he's got this kind of injury. And they're like, how would he know that just by looking at it? Because yeah, he was completely covered up. But he saw his face and he said, here you go. And yeah, the kid, he cannot help himself. He's standing there. He yep. can't get out because it's the ER exit. And there's a bunch of cops there. And he sees this kid and he's hearing what he's saying. And he knows what's wrong with him. And he's like, resisting, resisting. I got to do something about it. <laughs> and he gives gets an opportunity Julianne Moore says, take him down to observation room, whatever. Yeah, and he's he, fine. He fucks right off and he takes him exactly where he needs to go, which is surgery, changes the paperwork, and then it's like, who signed off on this? He just puts a squiggle because doctor's signature. It's a doctor's signature. They it's mean fine. nothing. <laughs> yeah. The running, I love that they threw in the running joke. The doctor's signatures <laughs> are just hastily scribbled lines. Sure. And yeah, it's all of these different things that he is discovering about him the backstory with the pharmaceutical thing because tommy lee jones is like any other cop or detective if he sees a mystery he wants to solve it he wants to crack the case he wants to crack whatever it is that he's trying to do so that he can either follow it up or disprove whatever it is that he's trying to do and he's basically the viewer is why is he doing this like he doesn't care at the beginning like he literally he says, says it himself, the line i don't care he just knows this man is on the loose it is my job to catch him i do not care why yeah and he corners him and he escapes and he doesn't give up he's like no fuck that if he's if he's dead we'll find him quick but right. if he's not dead we need to find him and the more he discovers it kind of turns into this situation where Kimball is feeding him information like right. he they kind of get to the place where okay he's now open to the idea right he's leaving the breadcrumbs intentionally so that they can start to question why he's doing it and maybe do some follow-up themselves you mean an actual investigation yeah. that has not that yet did been not actually done. occur that the chicago pd did not do but yeah the scene in the laundry room where he's talking to him saying i believe you i think you're innocent and the only way you're going to get out of here alive is if you come with me, because the Chicago PD, they think you're a cop killer. They think that you killed the guy in the train. Yeah, the janitor from Scrubs, who's also in this movie. Oh, shit. <laughs> I don't know the actor's name offhand, but yes, he's the cop on the train. Who gets shot. Who gets shot by the one-armed man. And so the cops are now after him, and they're hot and bothered, and they're going to shoot him on sight. They even say, one of the cops with the mustache, they say, if you get a clean shot, take it. What the fuck? Yep. God damn it. Oh, fucking cops. <laughs> God. Anyway, but yes, that was very effective. You know, the hide and seek game in there kind of went on a little bit too long. There's a lot of shadows and there's a lot of people up there. So we don't know who it is and who he's following, yeah. who's following him. Joe and Pantoliano get, gets like bunked in the back of the head. and In the face. He gets Ah, uh, sure. He clonks him with like a fucking steel beam as one does. You know, like a cartoon. But what he's saying is is true. They will shoot him if, if he shows his face. So really the only way out of here is I'm going to shoot you or you're going to come with me and I will protect you from the cops. And they literally escort him out of the building in yeah. handcuffs. He gets in the back seat with him and uncuffs him and throws the cuffs right. because he doesn't like a mystery. He's figured out the case. He understands what's going on. Yeah. And like, there's that final line where he's like, I thought you didn't care. And he says, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. And he hands him a fucking ice pack. And like, 
Harrison Ford had every opportunity to kill cops, to kill other people, to get away, and he didn't do it. He is not acting the way a very guilty man acts. Right. Yeah, these are not the actions of a dangerous man or even a guilty man, so. They prove it time and time again, especially we, the viewer, and as I said, Tommy Lee Jones' character, because he's basically the viewer. Right. At the same time. And he is paying very, very close attention to what he is doing, all of his actions. And like none of it adds up as somebody who is on the run trying to get away. He's going back to Chicago, of all things. He doesn't understand why he's doing any of these things. And he needs to figure it out. And even the scene with him calling his lawyer and saying, I'm in St. Louis... Yeah, he doesn't even say it in a very convincing way. He's like, I'm in St. Louis. That doesn't sound sincere at all. No. Well, Trent, what other uh, notes, things that you wanted to talk about uh, from this movie here? All right, I I had a few things here. First of all, the very first thing in the movie is an extremely overdramatic credit sequence of the text on screen saying, Harrison, and pause Ford. And it's flashlights and a manhunt. Yeah, it's all like extremely dramatic. And the music cue goes boom. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> and then it says, Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's just something that. Only we, in the 90s. You, you don't trend. do that anymore. You really don't. There's, that's, you know, it, sometimes I wish that somebody would make a truly stylized 90s movie now. Oh, fuck. I would eat that shit up with a spoon. Oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Uh, Just a couple more here. Some choice quotes, the ones that we haven't mentioned yet. When Harrison Ford jumps off uh, off the dam and Tommy Lee Jones is is at the bottom and they say, there's no way that anybody would have survived that. He's fish food. And he responds, well, get yourself a cane pole and go catch the fish that ate him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, After he kills the guy in the house that deafened the other U.S. Marshal, he goes up to him and basically whispers, okay, can Can you you hear what I'm saying to you? I don't bargain. And I figured that might have been something that people took out of this movie. And I've not heard that quote anywhere else. No, not that I'm aware of. That that one has not stuck the way other ones I have. I wonder if that makes a comeback in the sequel. I wonder. I, now that we've got this one fresh, I really would like to go back and see U.S. Marshals because I'm pretty sure I saw that one before I saw this one, not realizing ah. it was a spiritual sequel. All right. A couple more here. When he's escaping the lockup, the cop shop, and they do the lockdown of the doors. Harrison Ford barely squeezes through the doors as they're closing. His foot is stuck. And Tommy Lee Jones takes out his gun and shoots him. Shoots at him a lot. Several and in times. Fact, in fact, if that glass was not bulletproof, he would have shot him right in the head. Most likely. Yeah, he would have been very dead. Yeah. So Tommy Lee Jones was not fucking around here. And the fact that that happened in the middle of the movie, uh, maybe he would have regretted that decision. But you know what? He's doing his job. I get it. But maybe not because we already saw before he shot that other dude without hesitation because he got his guy. Well, yeah, he also had his man, but, you know, he's still just on the run and he's not trying to hurt anybody. 
but he's still doing his job and he's going to get his man. And if he has to shoot him, he will shoot him. Right. And the last thing we talk about this, uh, we've mentioned this a couple of times in our episodes. When the two doctors are fighting, uh, let's just say on the rooftop outside uh, near the end of the movie, there is a glass ceiling over the elevator shaft for some reason. For to fall through, Trent. <laughs> you do not have a glass ceiling in your movie unless you fall through it. Or just glass of any kind. Glass of any if kind. It's, if it's really suspicious looking, you know that bitch is getting yeah, broken. <laughs> yeah, you have to fall through it. And I was disappointed because they just kind of fell on it. The first And it was realistic. Come on, just yeah. let them fall all the way the first time. It's that thing where your butt kind of goes through it, but you right. don't go through it. And I know that there are like support things there. There's metal pieces there supporting up. I get it. That's more realistic, but damn it. It took the the weight of two full grown men right. to fall down Come on. the elevator shaft. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I guess it maybe makes sense. I don't know the logistics of how elevators function. Like to be at the top, you have to be able to access some of that sure. for maintenance purposes. Sure. So maybe once upon a time That's probably a service elevator of some kind. Maybe. But once upon a time, thirty years ago. <laughs> We had to cover them all with glass because we live in a fancy city in a fancy hotel. Indeed. Also, I told you this while we were watching it. There's a slim possibility I've been in that hotel because they clearly filmed this on location. And I'm having memories of a conference I went to and that lobby looked suspiciously familiar. Okay. I'm going to have to look into this because now I want to know. <laughs> all right. All right. Any other thoughts? Anything else you want to say before you wrap this one up? No, that movie was awesome. I'm glad we chose this. All right, well, then we are going to throw it to an email. We've got one that's uh, from a couple of weeks ago from our superfan, Stephanie, about our 200th movie when we watched Scarface. Scarface. So a movie know. that's a little closer to 40 years old now. Yeah. <laughs> she begins, whoa, 200 movies. So proud to say I know you in real life. Hooray. Scarface is straight bonkers. Mm-hmm. It has been years since I watched it, but upon a rewatch, I noticed there's a lot of, quote, well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> that is putting it mildly. Yeah. yeah, the casting is not the most racially appropriate, but that is a product of the time. Michelle Pfeiffer is gorgeous in this one and continues to be gorgeous. Al Pacino is completely insane and continues to be insane. <laughs> it's kind of that reflection of who they became as actors later. Sure. He just really leaned hard into that. I'm kind of this gruff, tough, a little bit crazy person. Right. And like the stuff about Al Pacino, like all of it is internalized. Like the crazy doesn't come out until it's all out. Yeah, and he is not like that as a human being. I've never heard any story about him being a lunatic in real life. No. He's just a really intense actor. Yeah, and I think that's just how he has chosen to portray these things. And he's done more and more and more of those roles as he gets older because it's the thing that he understands and can fall back on. Yep. All right, she continues. You mentioned how a lot of people in other countries learn English from our movies and TV. Yep. In my high school French class, we watched a French teen show called Cette Etoile as part of our curriculum. So weird. Okay. I mean, you gotta learn it somehow. Yep. Anywho, yay 200. Everyone should donate and keep this party going. We agree. And everyone should email. We agree with that as well. 
you need a whole team of super contributors. Superfan Stephanie, Megafan Mitch, insert more team members here. Love you guys, Superfan Stephanie. Aw, thanks, Stephanie. Yes, so take Stephanie's advice. Be like Stephanie. You can also email this show, neverseenitpod at gmail.com. We would love to hear your thoughts about Scarface or The Fugitive or any of the other movies that we have covered recently or any movies you'd like us to cover because we like movies. We just covered 10 Oscar films. You can talk to us about any one of those. You can react to our uh, spoiler-free special where we covered all of them. Uh, as a group in our rankings, give us your rankings if you choose. You don't have to have seen all 10 movies to give us a ranking. Give us two. What's your favorite one of those 10? Of the ones that you have definitely seen, where would you rank them? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Follow the link in the podcast description to find those. There's also a link to support the show. If you want to click that link, we can, like Stephanie said, keep this party going. That's right. All right, well, that's going to be it for this episode. We've got a few more random ones before we start our next series, so that'll be coming in April. Serieses, Serieses. Shut up, Trent. We don't want to give away the whole game. Two series at the same time in April. Every slot is filled. Because we planned ahead for once in for our once lives. an entire <laughs> month of episodes are all planned out. Not recorded yet because we're not crazy people. No, but we do have a few more left in March, so you can look forward to those. In the meantime, I have been Betsy. And I'm Trent. And this has been Never Seen It. We appreciate you listening, and we hope to hear from you again. See you next time.